Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you've never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. Christmas Eve is right around the corner, and we want to invite you to join us for Christmas with Collective. We will have four identical Christmas Eve services starting on December 23rd at 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. and continuing on December 24th at 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. It's going to be an amazing night, so we want to encourage you to grab your family, your friends, and your neighbors and come celebrate with us. To learn more, head to www.mycollective.church. Now let's get into Sunday's message. In 1953, Dr. Seuss wrote a book that used the word Grinch for the first time. And by first time, I mean he is credited for creating this word. A few years later, he published How the Grinch Stole Christmas, and in 1966, the book became a movie. Then in 2000, there was a live action remake with Jim Carrey. And in 2018, just a few years ago, an animated version came out that reignited people's love for The Grinch. Now, The Grinch is easily one of the most iconic Christmas movies of all time, but there is a lot of debate over which one is the best. And so I'm going to give you the opportunity to share your opinion with us this morning. So really quickly, if you think like the OG Grinch is the best, will you give it up for that one? Okay. All right, how about the Jim Carrey version? I am, I am just so thrown off by that. Uh, <laughs> that's like, it's nightmares. Like for those of you, you guys go to therapy, right? Like that's the, uh, all right, what about the new 2018 version? All right, um, th- this one's my favorite. This is a, a household staple for us during the Christmas season. My girls will watch this movie multiple times a week. On their way to school, they ask if we can listen to the soundtrack, which is great because it's an incredible soundtrack. Uh, there are even times in the summer where they're like, you know what we want to watch? The Grinch. And so we watch it. Uh, and because the 2018 Grinch is a favorite in my household, that's going to be the version that I reference today as we continue in our series called Christmas Classics. This is a series where we are looking at some of the best Christmas movies ever and digging into the spiritual truths that are just below the surface. Now, the backstory on the Grinch is that for 53 years, he has lived in seclusion overlooking the town of Whoville. In contrast to the cheerful Who's, the Grinch is cynical and angry and bitter. And the rumor is that it's because his heart is two sizes too small. And because of that, the Who's believe that the Grinch is incapable of loving Christmas and all of the wonderful things that come with it, the lights, the gifts, and especially the songs. But if you watch the movie, especially the the new version, one of the things that you realize is that he doesn't actually hate Christmas. The reason he is cynical, angry, and bitter is because he is lonely. Check this out. And it took him right back to his earliest years, to that lost, lonely boy who cried all of those tears. That lost, lonely boy, isolated and sad, with no home of his own, no mom, no dad. And as the Grinch looked around, he felt downright scared as he remembered that Christmas where nobody cared, where nobody showed, not even a flea. And there were no cards, no gifts, and no tree. And as he watched other kids, one thing became clear, that this was the single worst day of the year. 
And then they'd do something he liked least of all. Every who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, would stand close together with Christmas bells ringing. They'd stand hand in hand, and the who's would start singing. When you read the story, when you watch the movies, he doesn't hate the gifts or the trees decorated with ornaments or Christmas carols. The Grinch is cynical and angry and bitter because he's sad, because he's scared, because he's all alone. And the Grinch is the way he is because he's an outsider looking in on all the things that he longs for, things like community and belonging and joy. And because he doesn't know what to do with his pain, he tries to take away Christmas to make the Who's feel the way that he feels. And at the end of this movie, one of the things he says is he says, I stole Christmas because I thought it would fix something, but it didn't. And so this story is less about a tall green humanoid who hates Christmas and more about what it feels like to be alone, to not have a place to belong. It's about how all of that pain goes away when a little girl named Cindy Lou Who invites him to join them for Christmas. So if you're taking notes this morning, here's the first thing I want you to write down. One invitation can change someone's life. One invitation, as Dr. Seuss puts it, can take the heart of a person that is two sizes too small and grow it to three times that size. One invitation can heal the pain and sorrow of loneliness. One invitation can bring joy and hope. One invitation can change someone's life. In the book of Luke, in the New Testament of the Bible, there's a story about a guy named Zacchaeus. And it goes like this. It's Luke 19, starting in verse 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. In Jesus' day, tax collectors were hated because Rome didn't have this empire-wide standard of taxation. And so what Rome would do is they would auction off the right to collect taxes to the highest bidder in a local city or town. And then whoever won the bidding would be given the title of tax collector, and they would be responsible for collecting a certain amount of money to send back to Rome. But the deal was whatever the tax collector could collect above what Rome required, they were allowed to keep. And so that's how tax collectors made a living, by cheating other people out of paying more taxes than what Rome required, ultimately by stealing from them. And so as you can imagine, tax collectors were greedy. They took advantage of people in their own community. They were despised. And Zacchaeus was one of those tax collectors. The story continues in verse 3. It says, he tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. My freshman year of college, I was taking a class called New Testament Survey. And one afternoon, I was studying with some friends, and I was struggling to remember all the names and places in the New Testament. And so I asked them how they remember just everything. And pretty much in unison, they said, we just sing the songs. And I remember thinking that I needed new friends, uh, but I asked them, okay, like, I don't get it. Just tell me what songs that you guys are singing. And they said, you know, the songs that we used to sing in Sunday school. Now, for me, I had no idea what they were talking about because I didn't grow up in the church. 
I don't have a Sunday school experience that I can draw back to. But then my roommate started singing this song, and he said, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. And I'm not even kidding you. The other five people there started to sing in unison. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Now, some of you know that song. Uh, some of you don't, and you're better for not knowing it, okay? <laughs> like, you, that doesn't mean anything to you. Uh, but either way, like this isn't just a cute song or a story about a cute song that people used to sing in Sunday school, right? If, if you grew up that way and you're singing the song and it's trapped in your head now, I want you to think about this story differently, right? What is this story about? Why did Zacchaeus want to see Jesus so badly? Why did it matter to him that Jesus was in Jericho? What did he think that Jesus could offer him? I think one of the reasons Zacchaeus cared enough to climb a tree in order to just get a glimpse at Jesus is because of one of Jesus' disciples called Matthew. You see, before Matthew started following Jesus, he was also a tax collector. In Matthew 9.9, it says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. And so Matthew got up and followed him. There's this moment where Matthew is approached by Jesus. Jesus says, follow me. And that's what Matthew does. He leaves everything behind. He leaves his career and his money, but he also leaves behind manipulation and greed. And Matthew did all of that to start a new life and follow Jesus. And so my theory is that word has spread among the tax collector community about Matthew. And I think Zacchaeus wants to know, what is it about Jesus that makes a tax collector drop everything and follow him? Really, what type of person would give a tax collector a second chance? And we get this. A lot of you started coming to Collective because you saw Jesus impacting the life of someone around you. You saw a marriage getting healthier. You saw someone's self-confidence rising. You saw someone finding real community, someone becoming more patient or more joyful or more gracious. And you thought, can Jesus really do that? Some of you are here right now because you are trying to figure out, can Jesus do that in my life? And you are thinking, if Jesus can help my friend or my coworker or that family member, can Jesus help me? And I think that's what Zacchaeus wants to know. The story continues, verse five, it says, when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Now imagine standing in a crowd in hopes of seeing Jesus. Then Jesus sees you, but he doesn't just see you. He calls you by name and asks to be a guest in your house. Here is this person who has no friends, who is an outsider in his own community, who's all alone, but Jesus sees him and invites him into a meal. So he continues, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy, but the people, the people were displeased. The crowd, they're upset, they're displeased, and here's why. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, They grumbled. Did you know that the number one question Jesus is asked by religious people is, why do you hang out with those people? Why are you with them? The number one question asked by religious people is not, who is God? It's not, how do I get to heaven? It's not, what is the purpose of life? It's, why do you hang out, eat lunch, spend time with, become friends with sinners? And let's not miss this. The people that were displeased were followers of God. They were religious people. It's essentially the church. And I think they were upset because they looked at Jesus and they saw him going to be with Zacchaeus and thought that Jesus was wasting his time. I think they looked at Zacchaeus and thought he was hopeless. 
that he was too broken, too sinful, too messed up. And I think they were upset because that wasn't what, who they wanted Jesus to care about. Because they wanted Jesus to give all of his attention to people who already followed him, right? to people who were holy or righteous. And I think that made some of the people in the crowd doubt whether or not Jesus was the son of God. Because what type of savior would hang out with someone like Zacchaeus? Jumping back to the story of the Grinch, what's interesting about the Who's is that they have this amazing community, right? You see that throughout the entire movie, but they know, they know that the Grinch is living up on a mountain all alone, and they do nothing. Some people, the story tells us, hated him. Some people were afraid of him. Some people avoided him at all costs. Some people didn't hate him, but just didn't make an effort to get to know him or include him because it was easier to leave him on the outside than to invite him in. And I think the church does the same thing. I think we have a tendency to do the same thing. We have this community that we love here. We have friends here. We feel safe here. We're growing and changing and healing here. We have a good thing going here. But the idea of new people or more people or messy people coming in makes us uncomfortable. We whisper, what if they're like Zacchaeus? What if they're like the Grinch? I'm being serious. We do this. Christians do this all the time. We are really good at keeping people out that we don't like, that make us uncomfortable, that we decide are too broken, too lost, too angry, too bitter, too doubtful, forgetting that we are and were and forever will be those types of people. Here's my hot take on Christianity right now. I don't think people hate Jesus because of who Jesus is. I don't even think people hate Jesus because of what he taught, even though a lot of what he teaches pushes against what we want to do with our lives. I think the reason the church is dying, I think the reason more and more people are giving up on their faith than ever before is because of us. It's because of the church. Because this world is full of people just like Zacchaeus, people who are addicted or angry or spiteful or selfish or whatever, people who are on the outside looking in and they are sad and they are lonely and they are scared. And they are looking for a place to belong, a place to heal, a place to find grace and hope and joy. And they're looking at a church and they're seeing everyone holding hands and singing this phrase, Dahu Doris, welcome home, welcome home, and yet we're afraid to open our doors. We are afraid to extend an invitation. I think the reason that the church is dying is because people are on the outside looking in thinking, I want that or I need that. And we, meaning Christians and the church, prefer outsiders to stay outsiders, forgetting that we were all outsiders at some point. We've ultimately become the crowd that is displeased. We've become the crowd that chooses ignorance toward the people in our lives who need what Jesus has to offer. That's my hot take right now. And that is why one invitation can change everything. One invitation can change someone's life. One invitation. One invitation to come and see. One person saying, come and sit with me. One person saying, I will pick you up. One person saying, this is how Jesus changed my life, and I think he can do the same for you. And that's because one invitation can lead to one experience with Jesus, and that one experience with Jesus can change everything. That is exactly what happened to Zacchaeus. It says this, meanwhile... Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. And Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. One experience, one meal, one moment with Jesus changed his life for eternity, one invitation. And so let me ask you, if one invitation can change someone's life, 
Who are you inviting to Christmas Eve? That's what this is all about. In his book, No More Dragons, Jim Bergen wrote, only Jesus has the power to truly change anyone's life, so where is the most effective place for people to bump into Jesus if not the church? So who are you inviting? The truth is, right now, there's no better time to invite someone to church than this season. Research actually shows that most people would come to church if someone they knew just asked them. And that's true 52 weeks out of the year, not just during the Christmas season. But they found that people are more receptive right now to going to church than any other time of the year. And that's because Christmas is everywhere. Right? It's Christmas music on the radio. It's Christmas ads infiltrating your social media. Christmas movies 24-7. So non-Christians, people who don't follow Jesus, are open to looking for the true meaning of Christmas. They're looking for hope and peace and good news that brings great joy. And they know, like we all know this, that it does not come from commercialism. We know this. And because of this, they are more open than any other time of the year to an invitation that you would extend. So let me ask you, who are you inviting? This year, we're going to have four Christmas Eve services. We believe so much in your ability to invite. We're, We're doing four There's going to be two on December 23rd at 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. and two on December 24th at 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. And listen, I understand that inviting someone to church can be intimidating. Like, I am not good at this by any means. You would think that I'm good at it. I am terrible at inviting people. And so to make this a little bit easier on everyone, we have an invite set for you to grab after service. For the adults, we have invite cards with Little Debbie Christmas trees. Which is, yeah, that's the goat, right? Uh, uh, For the kids, we've got invite cards and hot chocolate bombs. And these are to help you invite people to Christmas with Collective. Think of these as icebreakers. And the thing is, we'll let you grab as many as you want, but you have to promise that you aren't going to eat the little Debbies, okay? We know they're the best, but they're not for you. And when you invite someone this week, what you do is you just share why you follow Jesus and how you've seen him impact your life. Right? There, there are no magical words. This is what Jesus has done in my life. I think he can do it in yours as well. You, you share to them why you go to collective. You, you pray for them before, during, and after you invite them. And if they say yes to coming with you, you go to the Christmas Eve service that best fits their schedule. If you invite people and they want to go to all the services, you just go to all the services, okay? You'll hear the same message four times, but it'll be worth it because you'll be with people that you invited, And the thing is, it's very possible that they say no. My whole family had a list of invite last year. Every single one of them said no. But we'll invite them again because we know that one invitation can change someone's life, so it's worth the risk. You know, from time to time, uh, I will bump into people that used to go to Collective for a while but don't go here anymore. And it's weird how often I have the same conversation. Uh, They'll say, we needed to find a church that was a better fit. And that makes sense. I I know that Collective isn't the right church for everyone. If you are looking for a church that focuses more on themselves and the community, or a church that's low challenge, or a church that doesn't talk about real stuff, uh, or really a church that's solely for church people, this probably isn't going to be the place for you, and that is okay. But these conversations always have a second part to them that I hate. Uh, People will say to me, but you'll probably see us sometime soon because we have a friend who doesn't know Jesus and we want to bring them to Collective. And while this should be flattering, it just isn't. And here's why. If you are going to a church where you cannot bring your lost friends, what are you doing? If you are a part of a church where you would be embarrassed for your brother who doesn't follow Jesus to come with you, why are you going to that church? If you're afraid to tell your neighbors you go to church because you don't want them to show up unexpectedly and then hate their church experience, why are you doing that? I just don't get it. And so when people tell me this is the church where I bring my unchurched friends, I don't like it. 
I, I don't. I'm, I'm being honest. But do you know what I don't do? I don't tell them to not bring their friends here because I know that this is the best church around for lost people, for people who are far from God, for people who have walked away from their faith years ago and found themselves in a place they never imagined, divorced, addicted, hating themselves alone. And this is a place where people can belong before they believe. And this is a place where people can experience Jesus. So I don't tell people to not bring their friends here, even though they don't go here anymore, because I'd rather deal with the discomfort of people who've left this church and only use us to reach their lost friends than have their lost friends go to a church that won't do anything for them. And let me just say this, talking to this room right here, if you can't invite or bring your friends to collective because you're nervous, Right? Not nervous about invitation, but you're nervous about how we would treat them, whether worship would be good, whether the preaching would be relevant, whether the kid space was actually designed for kids and not just the childcare holding cell for them. You need to find a new church. I'm being honest. This isn't like whether or not you're, you're brave enough to invite. This is saying if you did invite, if you'd be embarrassed to bring them here, you need to leave collective and you need to find a church where you can unapologetically invite everyone you know to experience the grace and truth of Jesus. I'm being serious. I will never hold it against you. If this is not the church where you can bring your lost friends, you need to find that church. It's not just about us. And here's why. There's one more verse at the end of the story of Zacchaeus that I didn't read earlier. I think this is one of the most influential things that Jesus ever said. Here's what Jesus says in Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. This is his mission meaning this is why Jesus gave up his own life, so that lost people could be found, so people far from God could be connected back to him, so people could experience grace and endless second chances. He came to earth for lost and broken people, people just like us, and then after he resurrected from the dead, he told the church to carry on that mission. Mark 16, 15, Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. So Jesus says to his followers, he says to the church, now it's your turn. Go seek and save the lost. The mission of Jesus and the church is to invite and bring people to a place where they can experience the freedom that only Jesus offers. This is why we do church the way we do church here. Our foundation is Jesus. We exist to glorify him with our lives. We're built on truth and base ourselves completely on scripture but we are going to do church in a way that makes sense to people who are far from God because Jesus's mission was to seek and save those who are lost. So that means our greatest mission is to seek and save out his lost children who do not yet know his grace and bring them home. A little bit over a week ago, we posted the last episode of season one of our podcast called Your Story Matters. And it's been this incredible journey. Um, we're excited to take a little bit of a breather before we start season two in January. And so just a quick plug, if you are not listening to this podcast, you should listen to it. If you haven't caught up on it, you got a few weeks before we post a new episode and you should do that because it's episode after episode of people from a collective sharing about how Jesus has carried them through trials, sharing about how Jesus has saved marriages and families, how following Jesus has changed their lives. And for the last two episodes of this season, my wife and I had the pleasure of sharing parts of our story, but really we got to share how Collective was started. And if you listen to these episodes, one thing that you will hear is just how much we had to fight for Collective to be the church that seeks and saves lost people. 
for Collective to be a church for lost and broken people, for Collective to be a church for people like me who didn't grow up in the church, for Collective to be a church for people who walked away from the church, for Collective to be the type of church that Jesus would be proud of because it's full of people just like Zacchaeus. Now, I'm going to talk to those of you uh, who call Collective their church home and who would say they are a follower of Jesus for a second. And so what that means is if you're new to Collective and you're still trying to figure out if this is your church home or if you're still trying to figure out the whole Jesus thing, um, you kind of have one of two options right now. You can earmuff and you can go la, 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 la for the next few minutes if you want. Um, or you can listen and really learn how we take Jesus' words to heart. Um, Jesus said that he came to seek and save the lost. And then in Matthew 16, he tells us that we are responsible for taking that mission forward into the entire world. Meaning our mission as Christians, if you are a Christian, and our mission as a church is to seek and save the lost. And we know, data tells us, people tell us that Christmas is the best time to do that. And so if you are a follower of Jesus and you are heading out of town for Christmas, the message that you are sending your non-Christian friends, whether you think you are doing this or not, is that being at grandma's house for Christmas day is more important than whether or not they get a chance to bump into Jesus. And I know that sounds rough, I do, but I need you to think about this. If you are a follower of Jesus, right, when you choose to leave early and head out of town, what does that say about your desire for the people in your life who don't know Jesus to have a chance for him to change their lives? The best time of the year, and you guys are peacing out. What does that say about your desire to seek and save lost people? When you choose not to invite because you're afraid that they will say no, what are you saying about your insecurities and fear of rejection? What you're saying is that that means more to you than whether or not someone knows Jesus. Students who follow Jesus, when you don't invite your friends because you think you are too young or that invitation is just an adult thing, what you are saying is that it isn't your responsibility to bring people to a place where they can have their lives changed forever because you think someone else will do it. Jesus says, go into the world and tell everyone about the good news. Tell your family, tell your neighbors, tell your coworkers. Seek, invite, and tell everyone that Jesus is the Savior sent to rescue us from our sin. There's no better time to do that than right now. So I want you to wrestle with the question of who are you inviting? And then on top of that, Jesus says, when they believe, what do we do? He says, you baptize them. You want to know why we say check the baptism box every Sunday at Collective. That is why. Mark 16, 16, anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. This is why we talk about baptism so much. This is why we go nuts in this church every time someone gets baptized, because Jesus says anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. Right? Baptism is this idea of crossing from death to life. It's, it's choosing forgiveness and new life. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we doing what God has asked us to do? Are we, as Christians, seeking and saving the lost? Are we inviting people into experience the good news of Jesus? In other words, in order for someone to get baptized, they have to hear the gospel. In order to do that, they need to be here because they've been invited. So who are you inviting? Now, I talked to Christians earlier. So let me talk to those of you who are on the fence about Jesus. Christians, you can take a deep breath. You can you know, yell at me in your mind, whatever. But for those of you who believe, or for those of you who don't follow Jesus yet, for those of you who believe in Jesus or haven't been baptized yet, you can absolutely invite. In fact, you should invite. I think for those of you who are on the fence about Jesus and leaning in, an invitation from you almost means more. You're saying, I'm wrestling with this thing, so come and wrestle with me. And so you should share the good news with everyone you can. But for you, 
The real thing I need you to wrestle with is very simple. Just like Zacchaeus, Jesus sees you. He knows your name. He knows you and he knows what you've done and he's inviting you into a life with him. And so for you, the challenge is to say yes. To finally say yes to salvation, to say yes to the help that Jesus offers, yes to the love that he offers, yes to getting baptized. And if you are ready for that or just want to talk about that, not argue in your mind with me about that, just check the box and let's have a conversation. Because right now is the best time to invite, but I think it's also the best time to celebrate your faith in Jesus, to celebrate hope and new life and grace and starting your 2024 year saved and new with Jesus at the center. This past week, I was watching uh, The Grinch again with my girls. And as I've gotten older, I've definitely gotten softer, which I know it doesn't feel that way right now, but I promise that it's true. Um, I find myself like tearing up at movies all the time. And I was thinking about this sermon and watching this movie. So I was watching it a little bit differently than I had before. And we got to the scene of the end of the movie uh, that absolutely wrecked me. And so check this out. Uh, hello. Hi. Remember me? Yes, yes, I do. I remember you. My name is Cindy Lou. Cindy Lou who? It's nice to meet you, Cindy Lou. Uh, oh, my name is Grinch. And, uh, this is Max. <laughs> Whoa, nice to meet you, Max. I just came to invite you to our house for Christmas dinner. What? Me? But I took your gifts. Yeah, I know. And your trees. Yep. I stole your whole Christmas. I know you did. But we're inviting you anyway. But why? Because you've been alone long enough. Right? You miss that when you watch it the first time. He's, he's ruined everything for them. Right? He, he took advantage of them. He manipulated them. He stole from them. And she invites him, and he says, why? And her response is, because you've been alone long enough. Right? And for me, when I think about this, I think about my neighbors who have two young kids who are new to Frederick. They invited us to their kid's birthday party this summer because they don't know anybody else in the area. We're the only people that they're friends with, and we barely even know them. I think about the barista at Starbucks on 40, that every time I go in, she greets me by name. And she knows, she knows I'm a part of this church. I think about the parents of Elise's friends from school who, in all honesty, I avoid. <laughs> but they text us often enough asking for playdates with Elise. And every time they ask for a playdate, they say, you know, if you and your husband want to come over and spend time as well, you can. And when I step back and think about these people, I realize that these are in, people in my life that do not have what I have. Right? They do not have this church. They do not have Jesus. And for me personally, this Christmas, I want to be able to worship the hope and joy and peace that became real when our Savior was born. But I want to do that knowing that there are people in my life that have been alone long enough, and I took the chance to invite them, even though they might say no even though they might say no again. Our friends have been alone long enough. Our neighbors have been alone long enough. Our family has been alone long enough. And one invitation can change their life. So who are you inviting? Let's pray. 
God, oftentimes, um, when we watch movies like The Grinch or read stories like Zacchaeus, we have a tendency to find ourselves in the place of the main character, and we know what it feels like to be the Grinch. We know what it feels like to be lonely and scared and afraid or have something happen to us in our life that's kind of pushed us in that place. God, we know what it's like to be Zacchaeus, somebody on the outside looking in, feeling too broken, too lost, too sinful, too whatever. God, God I would say that every single one of us knows that feeling because we've, we've been in that place or we are in that place. But God, when we step back and we look at the full story, there are also times when we're the crowd. God, there are also times when we're the who's, and we have this beautiful community, we have this wonderful thing that we're a part of, but we do everything we can to make sure the people on the outside don't become people on the inside. And so God, as we read this story, as we talk about this movie, one thing we know is true is that one invitation can change someone's life. And we know that is true. God, we know it's even more so true when it comes to one invitation and one experience for people to bump into you. So God, as we think about Christmas and we wrestle with this idea of um, the perfect Christmas and the ideal Christmas and what Christmas Eve services look like for us and our family, God, I, I pray that other people, specifically I pray for the people that are in our lives that don't know you, I, I pray that we can put them into the center of this. God, where we don't just make plans to meet our family here and to head out to dinner, but we make plans to meet our friends here with our family and we get to do it all together just to give them an opportunity to experience you. God, we, we pray for courage as we do this. God, um, I know for me personally, every time we get turned down, it presses um, on my worthiness issues, my abandonment issues. Um, so God, give me the courage, give me the strength to invite. Uh, really give me the ability to follow the lead of my kids who do it so well. God, give us the opportunity, give us an open door, give us, give us a chance to invite somebody in to experience your grace and your truth and the things that you have to offer, which are so much better than anything else that we can purchase or own this Christmas. And God, for those uh, who are here, um, who are just kind of sitting on the fence of this Jesus thing, for the people here who uh, have, have never trusted you fully, who have never been baptized, never uh, taken that next step, God, um, we just pray uh, that they understand that you came for them, that you sent your son for them, to know them, to see them, to call them by name, no matter what they've done, no matter what they're doing, and say, come and be a part of this with me. Come and experience this new life. God, we just pray boldly um, that this Christmas uh, can be the best Christmas ever, not because the gifts are the best or uh, there's no family tension or anything like that. God, we pray it's the best Christmas ever because people we know that are far from you get to become close to you again. God, give us courage to invite. We love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.